0: uh bonjour and welcome back to uh the rigged podcast i am here with um as always with alias and chris and um we are going to today we're going to discuss uh some new developments with the case it looks like there's going to be some documents released there were some articles uh by maggie mulvihill um regarding the case uh that that um it looks like there's going to be some Potentially important news, i.e., again, the inspector general's office has lied or lied to us by saying Annie Dukin was the lone bad actor when listeners to this podcast know that there were were several bad actors. And in fact, the entire lab was a bad actor. Um, But uh, to I I don't know, let's. um, Chris, why don't you take it and take us through what uh, this, this judge in Middlesex is, is talking about here?
1: Well, sure. So uh, in this latest article by Maggie Mulvihill, uh, it's titled State Inspector General's Office Denied Other Workers Besides Annie Duke and Engaged in Drug Lab Misconduct Despite mm-hmm. Secret Criminal Referrals. So uh, let's see, it says... In multiple court filings and a statement to a judge, top lawyers for the state inspector general's office either denied they had referred for criminal prosecution, other employees at a laggard state drug lab or indicated no other workers engaged in misconduct. Uh, the only employee ever prosecuted for misconduct at the Hinton lab was disgraced chemist, Annie Dukin. Uh, statements were made. Oops, hold on, my dog's barking here. statements were made even though the IG's office had referred other workers to the attorney general's office for possible criminal prosecution one as far back as 2015 stemming from their work at the Hinton Drug Lab court records show so we are now uh waiting for information I don't know if uh Maggie was privy to this or um whatever but we're, we're waiting for these records to be unsealed
0: it's uh it's pretty so 2015 i mean so we know that another worker let, let's go through what we know we know that another worker was fired for for lying on her resume about her college experience or lying on the stand about her experience and her cv right they they found out Kate
1: Corbett. yeah
0: uh, yeah that k corbett um was not like was like a sociology major and she said she was a chemistry major on the
2: stand right right
0: and oh, so i forget
2: lying on the stand is i forget is that a big deal i, guess. I no,
0: no well it depends on who does it it depends on who <laughs> yeah. does it
1: yeah
0: um that that's all it that matters because and and we know and so we're gonna do so let me let me just back up and sit and say that we at some point are going to do a summary episode of everything that we've uncovered um, in the podcast, this is going to – we're, we're going to wind down season two. We have a few episodes left, um, and we're going – I probably should have said this at the top, but I like to bury the lead. Um, and then we're, we're going to do something on civil a- asset forfeiture and qualified immunity. i um, going to try for a few more guests and then uh, summarize what we have kind of discovered on the podcast – Um, And one of the major things that I think that we um, have definitely driven home is that every chemist in the the lab, essentially, I mean, I I don't have all their testimony in front of me, but they they all were saying that they followed SWIG drug regulations Mm -hmm. when when they knowingly did not follow SWIG drug regulations. Mm -hmm. They all knew that they were coming up short. In fact, Chris found a fun document from the head from it was Charles Salemi
1: that wrote that Chris looked like from the handwriting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Where he basically marked up all the swig drug regulations and it's like, yep, we're not following that. We're not following that. We're not following that. And because they didn't have training, they didn't have a lot of the things that were required by swig drug. And by the way, swig drug was the minimal requirements that a lab needed to test drugs And these labs didn't even, both the Hinton and Amherst labs didn't even follow the minimum. And um, so all the chemists lied on the stand, but Kate Corbett in particular um, lied about her credentials to make, and why would someone risk, why would someone risk lying on the stand about their qualifications? Why would they care? Why couldn't she just say she was a sociology major, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, one of the things I wanted to mention was like for listeners, how does this play out in a real court case in a way that impacts someone's life? So I represented someone who, uh, you know, went to trial, they had one of two chemists on the stand. uh, And the chemist testified that they followed SWIG drug guidelines, and then testified improperly that the minimal tests that she had done, which are not appropriate under SWIG drug to actually certify something as a controlled substance, she said uh, this was cocaine. So this was an instance where she did the powder tests and she said that was enough under SWIG drug and uh, that's fine. And so that guy got convicted and it would have helped him out if he had known that uh, lab administrators were corresponding Uh, four months earlier about the fact they were not actually meeting SWID drug guidelines. Right. Right. So if a defense attorney had found that out and, uh, you know, the the defense attorney had at the time was trying to do the best he he could with the info that he had, but uh, he could have destroyed their case. And they probably could not have gone forward at all because the uh, test results were by no means scientifically reliable. Right. And Annie
0: Dukin would get on the stage and or would get on the stand all the time and be like, we follow swig drug. These are these great standards. Like the the defense attorneys would always ask the, um, the witnesses, the chemists, you know, what are your standards? What's your training? And they would just lie, 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 lie about their standard. They had no standards. They had no training. And if you say that in court, hey, yeah, I have no standards. I don't follow any procedures. We just kind of do things willy-nilly uh, we take we take samples out of the trash and you know use them as our standards to test all of the drugs against we, you know like all of these things that they did um it, like no none of these cases would have been convictions I, or very few would have you know so it was a big confidence scheme
2: right well the lying about the resume is is hugely important i mean i in I, civil unlike criminal in in the civil world, it's very common to have a, a, a trial in which both side has an expert. And you hear about this is professor so-and-so and it's the first half of the questioning is about the person's credentials. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I mean, some people find it interesting. I find it boring. And it's also completely pompous and egotistical. You know, people taking credit for things. Here's, I've, I've authored 200 articles. And oh, they do yeah. all this stuff, and but the juries, uh, uh, by and large, uh, believe it. They eat out of the hand of an expert. Now, when you have battle of the experts, that's a little different. But in a criminal case, the typical drug case, the only expert is the the drug lab employee, right? Mm-hmm. And this person comes in, and 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 the these jurors w- watch CSI, CSI Miami, and they expect that there is going to be science uh, um, taking place with you know. You, Probably with attractive people, but in, in real life, just regular people. But uh, they would be much less inclined to be wowed if they found out that this person really doesn't have much idea what they're doing. And that's the sense that I get from you know we've covered Sonia Farox's background, we've covered Annie Dukin's background, um, we've covered some of these other uh, uh, chemists' their background. And in in all of this, there's a few that. Probably did have a chemistry background, right? That was credible, and they were the ones who were the most, you know, uh, agonizing about dealing with the reality of what was going on in those labs. Whereas the other ones didn't care. Annie Ducan didn't care if they didn't do something right. She didn't care. She didn't calibrate her, uh, you know, uh, her her scales or whatever. You know, all the stuff that was going on. So I think it's the fact that anyone lied about their credentials is is hugely important given that that, uh, you know, that's the first part of, of reeling the juror in is I'm somebody you can trust. And now I'm going to tell you that something that that could go either way is going in our favor and you have to trust that. And and so I think uh, the fact that there, you know, you said confidence scheme, I mean, that's exactly what it was. You have, you have to you have to con people into believing that anything that you say before they're about to believe some of the whoppers that you're going to uh, unload.
1: Yeah, one thing that was eye-opening to me in talking with one actual expert, right, he said, you got to stop calling the people who work at this lab chemists. They're not chemists. They don't have a degree in chemistry. They don't have a background in chemistry. In the more appropriate word is technician. So they are given some rudimentary understanding of how to load stuff into the machines. But beyond that, uh, you know... uh, there's not any real chemistry that they're doing so even you know having someone uh, appear in a criminal case and the judge saying you know this is a qualified expert uh, expert chemist that gives the jury the impression that these people know what they're talking about when when really uh they were just sort of taught uh you know how to work a machine until it breaks
2: and they weren't really actually i mean so you know within science there's a lot of art right there's there's um approaches to things and there's there's subtle differences and those subtleties can be lost on the person doing the experiment and you can produce biased or or inaccurate results if you if you don't get that and one of the interesting things is there was lots of d- discussions that that were raised in the labs both labs about these tricky issues. And what you could tell is that nobody actually had any idea. None of the line, frontline, you know, little technicians, let's call them, actually understood that. So maybe the lawlers of the lab might yeah. have understood the subtlety. And even Kate Corbett, when they, when they, when they caught Annie Ducan, my memory was they they retested one of her samples by giving it to Kate Corbett. And the first thing she did was she screwed up that that re, that redo. And she re, misread the result. And then you had I forget who telling her how to run what what uh, um, uh, 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 analytical mode to to use where, the difference between when you know what you're screening for or where you don't you know there's these are the subtleties that I'm talking about and you could tell that like Kate Corbett didn't even ha- have any awareness of how what how she should mm-hmm. be proceeding so there's a lot of art in science and if you have someone who literally doesn't know what they're doing. That's super dangerous uh, be, because again, these things can sway the outcomes, and and that's why you really need a, a process of peer review. You need a process of accreditation, um, and and neither existed at at the drug labs.
0: Um, so what Annie Duke Annie Ducan was a con artist. What she would do is she would get up. Before she testified, she'd get in her fancy, nicely-pressed suit. She'd put on glasses. She'd, you know, put on and look very, very professional. And she had canned responses that she gave to the prosecutors. Because, number one, guys, what's the most important thing about this confidence scheme? No one gives a shit about science. Everyone, you say science, and immediately everyone's eyes glaze over, right? That's just the general public. No one cares, and, and no one especially cares about drug testing science. Who gives a shit, you know? Oh, I ran this test and this test. They don't know. They have no context. No one on the jury had any context. No one um, – like very few defense lawyers had any context, which is sad. And the prosecutors were completely clueless. And I, I say this. Because all of them were willfully clueless. Like, I remember Papa Christos was like, oh, you're talking this science nonsense. I don't understand. You get up there and talk the science. She had – Annie had canned responses, right? And she wrote them down. She called them pre-edicate questions. She gave them to the prosecutor. So she gave the prosecutors exactly what she wanted them to ask her, right? And she said she told the prosecutors avoid training and avoid asking me questions about training and avoid asking me questions about lab qualification. Right. Right. Because she knew Mm -hmm. she would get screwed. And it's crazy that no defense attorney hammered that home in a a truthful way, in in a meaningful way. Right. In, In 30 years that this lab was open, maybe someone did. But it just got like brushed under, and he didn't share his work or whatever.
2: Well, it but- was, it, it was hard to, I mean, to 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 take a, a lawyer's perspective here. Um, in order to understand what they were doing wrong, you would have to hire an expert, and that expert would probably burn through a hundred thousand dollars to tell you exactly what the most obvious problems were. Not all of them, but maybe some of the more obvious ones, because that's what it would take. It would take reviewing a lot of documents and. Uh, spending hours and and reading standards and and looking at it, so no no criminal def- defendant uh, or not uh, uh, I would say ninety nine point nine percent aren't going to be able to fork over that kind of money to the lawyer to then hire an expert to then educate you how to cross examine Kate Corbett or Annie Dukin. That's the problem,
0: right? Um, and uh, they can, you know, and lawyers don't the know problem really is, is that these chemists would lie their ass off, right? If you caught them, they would just say, no, no, we're qualified. No, we're this, we're this, because they knew it was never going to come back at them. We found that they were lying. The OIG found that they were all lying about about their qualifications. They were lying about the the lab's qualifications on the stand, and nothing has ever been done to them. And they knew... The mentality
2: oh, like, was the mentality w- that was in those documents that you've you've helped uh, um, uncover is that uh, hey when we show up at at the courthouse with our lab packet or whatever our you know our, our our certs our drug certs defendants plead guilty yes so it's the rare case where the defendant doesn't plead guilty and in that case then yeah you're going to say stuff and who's ever going to check that transcript. Right. And so I think that there was this real invincibility feeling um, and and and, and uh, you know, it wasn't until one of the wheels fell off the wagon that you know then all the wheels fell off but but for a long time, they had been sailing through with not much uh, 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 so much as a, a, a speed bump in the road. right. And so there but
0: there was a problem, right? because the, the problem at the Hinton lab, was that there was this massive backlog, and there was all these cl- cases that needed to be done, and in order to do these these this testing, like th- there was a problem because the input and what they were f- like what they were the um, DPH Department of Public Health was funding the lab was in completely inadequate, and um, in, in order to deal with all of the testing that was required by the lab. So the chemists were put in a completely no-win situation, right? And Annie Dukin recognized that, and she also recognized what you're saying, Ilias, is that, like, I'm never going to get in trouble for this shit. Like, the prosecutors are pushing me to do it. No one checks my work. This whole lab is kind of a joke, so I can just say whatever. 96, again – this is, this is another thing that we – well, the OIG uncovered um, and that we've been hammering home. Ninety-six percent of the testing in the Hinton Lab was positive, right? So why would you test something that only has, in, in their mind, a four percent chance of being negative? So Annie knew that. She, she was friends with all the prosecutors. So she took the lead. She saw what was wrong. She took the lead and just started hammering home these positive results, positive, 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 like for almost, for, for almost all of her testing, but she stayed in lockstep with the rest of the lab where, you know, some would be negative, but only a, a small, small percentage, right? So, but it all fell apart when, um, right before the lab was going to get Transferred to the state police. That was the problem, right, Elias? I think that's our theory, right? That the whole June breach thing, where she got busted, they basically used her as the sacrificial lamb. They stood her up. She she was not checking things out like she was doing this all along. She was just going into the evidence room and taking her own samples and whatever she wanted, asking for specific samples to be assigned to her, and um and finally they're just like, we're getting transferred. We're gonna get. Fucked for this, like let's just throw her under the bus. That's, I mean, that's my theory. Is that does that line up with what you guys think happened?
2: Well, you know, I I find the timing of a of a plan. I mean, there's no suggestion that the supposed transfer of Hinton and Amherst in, into the purview of the state police was uh, re- related to any. Misconduct or inadequacies or failings, right? I haven't seen right. anyone. It was a budgetary move, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And, but when you see something like that, it does make you wonder, right? Was it really? I mean, the 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 feeling that I get again, this is this is not even speculation. This is a feeling, right? But uh, the feeling I get is that this was a, a a dirty secret that people kind of knew inside in the inner workings of government. And the, the, the hope was to get past this. The hope was to 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 uh, tr- do the transfer, close Hinton, close Amherst. Uh, I mean, apparently, I don't know this, but if you stepped foot in Amherst, you would know you had a problem. Mm-hmm. That's, everyone that I've heard, talked to has said that Amherst, the problem was just take a foot, take a step inside the doorway and open your eyes and you're going to see the problem. And I've seen pictures of of Hinton. And I think it's the same thing. And and so uh, you know, and the prosecutors I think knew a lot more than they were letting on, and and I think the AG's office knew. So now you have a situation where you have this like coincidence that the lab is going to be transferred at the same time that you finally got caught on something, and for whatever reason you're gonna you're gonna there's going to be a paper trail. And so the plan was to get to whistle past the cemetery long enough. That no one notices, and then you move on, and then you say, soul bad actor, fire Annie Dukin and then you're done with it. And that they couldn't have rushed that narrative faster. They they rushed it even while Sonia Farak was unfolding. And right. and, and there's no evidence, you know, that um, uh, uh, that 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 had anything to do right with the transfer. So so now you have this sort of like disjointed narrative of oh, this is what happened at Hinton. Um, but we're not even going to look at, Am- at Amherst. And Sonia Frock is barely going to get like a footnote, right? Um, and so I think that there was probably some knowledge that the the, sci- the labs were not, at least were not sufficiently rigorous. Let's just put it that way. I think they knew they <laughs> weren't so diplomatic. rigorous. <laughs> and the state police claimed that they did a better job. At some point, they were accredited. Hinton and Amherst were not accredited. I don't think enough time is spent talking about the fact that our tax dollars were being wasted on labs that were not accredited right to me that's amazing
0: well dude like entire cases like every the whole foundation of this drug war was on a foundation of bullshit like everything was going through that lab and it was all bullshit and it was just this stupid prop up that you know, all of the money that we were spending on those labs was for nothing, for a, a non-qualified labs. And they all knew they weren't qualified. Everyone knew. What's well, crazy. Let me just
1: remind everyone, um, there were two different audits uh, where I think the first one was an independent auditing group. Uh, and the second one was a Governor, Governor Romney's task force on forensic science. And they both said, This lab isn't up to snuff. Neither of these labs are.
0: Yeah. And I mean, dude, we're we're like, I mean, like the fact that they didn't have standards, and Mm -hmm. that's another thing that we've, you know, kind of uncovered here. Like all of this testing is based on standards. You have to know this a standard is what is scientifically pure drug, which all the other drugs are tested against. So a scientifically pure standard would be like a cocaine that is produced and that is 100% pure cocaine. Because then you put, you compare the 100% pure to whatever's coming in off the street and that's how you do your comparison testing. What the Hinton Lab was doing was they're taking stuff off the street, purifying it through an unqualified process that was not, um, that was not scientifically valid that, you know, they had people in there that knew how to do a purification process, but whether or not it actually worked or whatever it was, um, you know, that's TBD cause they weren't supposed to even be doing it. And they, that's what their standards were based on. And that's what they were comparing every drug that came through the lab against. So just that fact right there, like that is, that's, that, Refutes all of their testing in my mind because if they're, if everything they're testing against is a a drug that is not scientifically pure, that they didn't get a certificate of qualification from a qualified lab from, and they just did it in house based on a drug that they don't, didn't even know was pure to begin with, like that to me is a joke. And no one has brought that up, no one has challenged uh, the authenticity of all the testing in the lab based on the on the standards. And that's just like one of a dozen or more issues, training, procedures, all these different things that real labs have to do, these labs did not have. And um, it, it, it's it, it's kind of shocking and crazy.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the issue is standards. I mean, I'm one of those people that when I hear someone talk about training or standards or guidelines, I, I admit that I kind of... My mind starts to wander about onto um, other stuff, but the, <laughs> the issue is 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 not so much did they adhere to the standards, but why didn't they want to embrace a, a, a robust set of standards? Uh, right. And I and we know from and I know you know in my um, in my uh, practice I, I I've dealt with a lot of pharmaceutical um, uh, scientific research, and they're supposed to follow standards in doing clinical trials, and and the FDA mandates some of these standards. And drug companies claim to go above and beyond to implement other standards. And the reason they have to say they're doing that is because no one's going to trust the result because if you don't have those standards, you literally can do what you want. right? So and, and nobody wants to, to follow standards. If, if you don't have to follow them, you're not going to follow them. And, right. and, and I've seen you know, I haven't seen every trick in the book, but I've seen a lot of tricks in the book, right? Uh, pharmaceutical companies can eject patients from a trial after the trial is done, if they don't like the, the results of those patients, they can say, well, in, in hindsight, we should have excluded all people with beards, right? Knowing that, you know, eight of 10 of them had beards. And then you look at the results and now they they look better. So, right. uh, so, and, the, and they, and they do it until they get caught. And then the, there's new sets of standards and the standards say you can't do that. And then they say, fine, we won't do that. And then you know, the, then the dream, the dream up the next set of uh, of dodges. Well, that's what this was. Hinton Lab, Amherst Lab, were environments where no one ever said you got to do more, right? And and they were doing what they wanted, and and that's why it wasn't like that complicated to to come up with the standards or adhere to them. Might have been expensive, but it wasn't that complicated. You can go and and get the materials you need. You can have people work on it, and the fact that they had Annie Dukin of, of all people, supposedly drafting their non-existent standards for uh, back uh, as late as what 2011, yes, uh, 12. I mean, that's that's the story. Is that they had it no is. one had ever made them do it sooner, right? Um, yeah. And Can so we also
1: uh, circle okay. back to the prosecutorial misconduct uh, portion of the story, and also more about what Maggie Mulvihill uncovered because part of this. Sure is gonna be new to listeners. So going back to the article that I was quoting earlier, uh, it says, uh, no other Hinton employee aside from Dukin has ever been prosecuted since the IG's office issued a 2014 report stating that Dukin was the quote, sold that actor at Hinton. Agency spent 6.2 million in public funds to come to its conclusion following a top to bottom review of Hinton and its operations. So we all knew that, but this this was really interesting. Among the statements the IG's office made about other potential misconduct at Hinton was on July 18, 2018, the Inspector General's then General Counsel, Julie Bell Andrus, told a Suffolk Superior Court judge she was not aware of any criminal referrals made by her office relative to Hinton. Her comment came in a hearing on um, Jim's Escobar case before Judge Christine Roach. Uh, Roach asked Andrus, quote, uh, there were no referrals, criminal referrals. Uh, she responded, there are none mentioned in the Hinton report, Your Honor, and there are none that I'm aware of. Andrus responded according to a transcript of the hearing the following day, Andrus wrote to apologize to the judge, stating she was prohibited by law from discussing any referrals. Quote, I misspoke during the hearing and I'm writing to correct the record uh state law bars the disclosure of any criminal referrals made by the ig's office so <laughs> oh
0: my uh, god
1: like isn't come this, on yeah and this was so th- this was in the escobar case and i've seen a bunch of the transcripts from that when, when people were testifying but it seems like this was an instance where it was just the lawyers talking so i never saw this transcript but like you can tell what she's doing, uh, you know, right? Like when a lawyer says I'm prohibited by law from saying something, however, I'm a misspoke in the past. I can't say what the status of that is, but I did misspeak, right? Like,
0: <laughs> that's a joke. Like, and, and this is the pattern, right? I mean, they, they, they line up these junior prosecutors to basically get thrown to the wolves To the judge, I mean, this is what, this is Kim Foster 2.0.
1: Well, she was the um, head counsel for the IG's office back then. This is when I was litigating stuff with them. That's, that's crazy.
0: It's crazy. Hmm. I, I just think that, well, sorry, then, then I misspoke. But, but regardless, like, it's still a pattern of lies. And, um and they just keep, like, why do they just keep pushing it down the line? It's been 10 years. And, and, and we, it's like,
1: oh, whenever we find a breadcrumb like that, defense attorneys are, are like, well, can we know what it is that you're talking about? So because you do have a Brady obligation and I'm like, no, nope, you can't know. We'll try and bury you in paperwork for like three and a half years. Yeah. They just want to keep
0: dragging it along. Maybe in 30 years they'll admit the truth or you, you'll get like closer and closer. I mean and the re and so they don't there is something so massive behind all of this that they don't want to do and, and I think just by the stuff that we've seen with the um with you know the person that sat in Dukan's seat uh before Dukan that was testing at the same level Dukan was testing at, that to me is so massive and still has not been discussed or um or, or anything, and you know, there's just so much the, the Sandra Lipschitz stuff, right? Where she's testing th- at a, a clip that was three times higher than everyone else in the lab. And she just happened to be sitting in the same seat as Dukin and it was, she was told, or um, one of the chemists told the state police that Sandra Lipschitz was uh, put up a piece of brown paper between her and um, the, their, her deskmate and Andy Dukin did the same thing. And like both of those two had the same like kind of testing rates and patterns. And it and like that happened all throughout the nineties. And it it just like what what this is kind of leading to is just, I don't know, something a lot bigger than we, we could possibly imagine. And I'm sure we don't even know half of it. You know, like I'm sure there's just a lot that's out there. Why else would they be dragging their feet if there was nothing there? This is what they say about um defendants all the time like why wouldn't they talk to prosecutors if they have nothing to hide you know it's the same right.
2: thing right so one of the things that that I guess this touches on and and I I noticed this when I was involved in my case um uh involving the drug lab that that the the uh, I assume this is we're talking about the um the uh, Inspector General statute that yeah. has all kinds of rules about uh secrecy and 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 I think people generally understand that what a prosecutor is doing is usually has sort of an umbrella of secrecy up until a certain point. And and very often that point might be when a report lands, right? And I think people are familiar with in the news that you write a report and at the end of the report, you might say, and I've referred X, Y, and Z for prosecution. And it's out of your hands at that point. That's a prosecutor's decision, right? To, To look at that. You're not saying look at it. You're not saying don't look at it. Well, you're you are suggesting someone should look at it, but you're not you're not calling it in the air. Um, but why why do we have secrecy after a report drops? And I get I get the point of maybe secrecy during the investigation. Um, although I I now question in hindsight whether Massachusetts the the IG statute is really serving two masters. Right on one hand it's it's making it seem like we have independent accountability in our government. And on the other hand, it's giving people like a huge head start. Like if you want to get your plane that's headed to Bahamas, uh, 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 you know, taxing on the runway, now would be a good time to do it because you're going to, it's going to take years before anyone finds out that you stole a lot of public money. So, so it seems to me that, that the secrecy is really in large part to protect the the bad actors. I don't see who else is being protected. The IG's office is not
1: being protected. I think originally the public policy thinking was that we need to not um, discourage potential witnesses from coming to the IG's office with information, right? We don't wanna create a chilling effect. And that does make sense. But when you're sitting there and you have this massive $6 million investigation and it uncovers that multiple government agents involved in criminal cases, uh, potentially committing criminal misconduct. I mean, like, that's a sort of a different ballgame, because, you know, defendants have a right to that information. And it, particularly in this scenario, where the IG's office knew it was taking over the investigation from other prosecutors offices, because they were you know, it's supposed to be more independent than Suffolk or Middlesex or whoever else. You know, the, the court has ruled that they stepped into the shoes of a member of the prosecution team, so they did have a duty to divulge all that. So, right. I mean, the statute definitely needs to be reworked. You certainly want to protect reluctant witnesses and their identities so that they can come forward and. and all sorts of different inquiries. But, but when something this massive happens, there there's has to two- be a mechanism where the public defender's office is notified because we've seen time after time after time, the DA's office says and the attorney general's office, the US attorney's office, they, they just don't release the information that they're obligated to.
2: Well, I, you know, I agree with, with, with what you said, but now there's two problems, right? One the minute you refer something to prosecution, you know, that you just turned up the temperature in a lot of people's lives, including the witnesses upon whom, if there is an actual prosecution, it's Mm -hmm. gonna depend, right? So you can't protect, it's not infinite, the ability to protect witnesses. Um, And presumably you've developed other evidence, right? Maybe you don't need that witness, maybe you've corroborated with documents. So it seems to me that the referral should be decoupled with that and and then the other problem is i don't i if if you said this has to be secret i get it then you can't then say but our report concludes there was one soul bad act right that's a right. lie that's that's a really lie
1: sketch. right yes
2: that's, yeah i mean absolutely. you're allowed to you're allowed to an american legal system to uh, uh refuse to disclose certain things but you're never allowed to lie right and that's what that correction was the, the lawyer, when she misspoke, what she meant is, uh, I told Judge Roach something that was not true, colloquially known as a lie. I went back to my office, uh, and and I panicked. And the next day, I sent a letter in, and 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 said, you know, if there were something, I wouldn't be allowed to disclose it, and blah 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 blah. <laughs> um, that that that's fine, but then you can't say in your OIG report that there was that you've concluded there was one bad actor. Right.
1: Or put incorrect numbers in the report. Right. We've been over this a thousand times. Yeah.
0: Or like so I love it when because they say she was the lone bad actor. Literally the next paragraph, the the main reason for this happening was poor management. Like how is the poor management not a bad action? What is a bad action? And then they also said, which no one ever talks about, Was that we, they couldn't determine what Dukin's motive was, but it was to definite, but we determined that it was definitely not to help prosecutors convict criminal defendants.
1: Right.
0: And then I have two, I have two emails that Annie Dukin says, I want to lock him up referring to the defendant and throw away the key. Yeah. Like that is a joke. And so why would they lie like that so blatantly? What are they doing? I've, like, what's the motive, guys? That, that to me, is the biggest question. For the, question we for know the IG's
2: office. For the IG's office.
0: Yeah, well, for the IG's office. What's their motive? Why are they putting the reputation of the IG's office at stake for something, so, like, so easily disprovable?
1: Well, I think the answer is like 62,000 convictions and a huge civil settlement, cello- cello- Yep, right? There it well, is. There it is.
2: Well, there's that. There's let's not also forget there's a political element, right? So you have um um our, our our favorite General Coakley, right, who was at that point um uh gearing up for a run for governor. Um and uh, and and I believe, but I don't have it in front of me that that um one or more people on the IG team were um, um, previously involved in, in, in Ms. Coakley's office. Not sure. Mm-hmm, uh, we, can, mm-hmm. we can fact check that. Um, and so you might have personal connections. Certainly, Martha Coakley was trying to get as far, away, uh, be, you know, uh, uh, have this scandal as far behind her as possible so that this wouldn't be a talking point um, a, a, against her. And
1: this so this stuff may well run into healy's tenure yes
2: that's well, the other thing the cover-up right governor I mean, healy we, we yeah this is one of those tricky things where it's like when did it start and when did it end right because yeah. really until you do well, a real investigation uh, you can't know well uh, it's
0: never it, it hasn't ended it's still going right so it's it hasn't ended it started the day they found um I mean, that's a good point. When did it start? Because they had that whole, um, you, you know, it started. When when did it start? There, there's there's touch points where you know people testified and said, "Oh, I, you know, she was running crazy numbers," and I had an audit done. You know, we did an internal audit. We found no misconduct on Annie, and that was back in you know 2007
2: well, or whatever. Well, the the IG's office picked, if I recall, 2004 as when they started their focus. It was 2004 to 2012. Yep. And it always sort of reminded me of like Star Wars, you know, let's start in the middle, episode four. Like who decided that you're going to start in 2004?
0: Well, no, the IG's office, didn't it cover... Uh, Ilias, wasn't it like two thousand, like the year before she Duke and started? Oh, maybe 3
2: three. You're right. Maybe it's oh three. Yeah, it, was, it but was. I mean, like either picked... 02 or 03 to to twenty twelve. Okay, whichever it is, two thousand and two, we can go with. Yep. Okay, I'm
1: that doesn't Two thousand two to two thousand twelve. Okay,
2: yep. so materially, what does that change? Two thousand and two to two thousand and twelve. You picked a ten year period. If this is if this is the 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 complete abomination that it appears to have been and everything we've uncovered suggests that they didn't wake up one morning between 2002 and 2012 and say, hey, let's start recycling, you know, standards or, hey, let's go through the trash and pick out discarded things or let's lie about weights, you know, things like that. Then why not go back as far as you get records for? Right.
0: Well, and, and they, but the best they did it clearly to blame it on Dukin. And, and that's why that time frame was there because she was the, the sole, the, it's the sole bad actor bullshit narrative. And they even say that in the report, we'd studied the whole lab. This wasn't just a focus on one chemist. This was a whole lab investigation and that's total bullshit, you know, right. total
2: BS. And if they had done a rudimentary analysis, they would have known that handset drove uh, um homemade drugs uh uh on down the mass pike to boston
0: yeah
2: um you know they were well, listening have found, to Free bird yeah they would have found, they would have found all sorts of things that would have blown the lid off that they probably would have also figured out what sonia farak was up to um if you know if you had asked any of those chemists right even right. one of them uh yeah. do you have any concerns about what's going on in your neck of the woods so well, and, and they do they would have done a whole study on that lab because that lab
0: they even knew was even worse than him,
1: right? Well, so the,
0: let me um, let, well, the let's state police up,
1: did go out nope. there and talk with them, um, but they did it, it briefly and they they couldn't even. I remember, I don't know if you guys recall this point, but Ferick testified that she uh, thought she was going to throw up, so she had to smoke crack at lunch before being interviewed by the state police. Yeah, I so remember they, they did go out there but they couldn't tell that she had just smoked crack. And and
0: Chris, this is the best part. When now tell me if this is true, when when cops testify on on the stand, don't they say I can tell when someone's high? Don't, isn't that a common a fairly common refrain? I, I remember Luke saying something alluding to something like that. We're, go ahead.
1: Well, yeah, I mean like in an OUI case, uh they're not allowed to say, opine, that the person was under the influence, but they can say things like, smell drunk, look drunk, something like that. Right. Di-
2: pupils dilated.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but, disheveled appearance.
2: But but uh,
1: <laughs> they're not allowed to was, opine on the ultimate issue in the case, but, but they characterize but going, it that way most of the time anyway. Right, going back to the they IG's
2: office it. though, Chris, I agree the state police went out there and did sort of a, you know, at least try to connect or 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 point out a few dots. But the, I, I, as I sit here right now, I don't know if I recall seeing Amherst documents in the in, in, in the in the IG's sort of um, 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 review, right? I, mean, I don't even know were they part of what was were they sucked in. No,
1: there was a initially a state police interview of, of chemists at the lab and at the same time. They went out there. That was one of the first document dumps we ever got. I think it was close to 100 pages of interviews, 93 pages. And they interviewed, I think it was Hanchett, Farrick, and one of the other chemists.
2: But my memory was they only asked really about Dukin. Yeah. Right, right, right. And, yeah, It wasn't
1: a any... top-to-bottom type thing. It was right. Just right. Like, Have what you, you seen know? anything?
2: Like... Yeah. Have you seen anything that... I forget. There's some very open-ended question. But I guess what I'm saying is I didn't see the oig's focus being at all on what if anything was happening at amherst that i mean i they they, yes the state police did interviews but i don't even think that was part of what uh you know what the oig uh looked at or closely um and i certainly don't remember a section of their report that was like everything's a-okay at amherst i don't remember that section
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. um because even if they like scratched the surface, they would have found that that lab was an absolute shit show. So let me let me go back to Maggie's article here. Um, I'm going to pick it up to, kind of towards the middle. Truth was not a priority for the inspector general's office, said attorney James P. McKenna, who you know frequent guest who we love, who represents two of the Middlesex defendants convicted with uh, evidence tested by chemists other than Dukin. Dukin and Farak were collectively sentenced to less than five years behind bars. That is such a joke. After pleading guilty to either tampering with evidence or stealing drugs in two separate prosecutions, no other Hinton employee has ever been prosecuted by the IG um, since the IG's office issued a 2014 report stating Dukin was the sole bad actor in Hinton. The agency spent 6.2 million in public funds to come to its conclusion following a, quote, top to bottom review of Hinton and its operations. Think about that, guys.
1: 6.2 million. none of these people are ever prosecuted be because of the statute of limitations.
0: Right. right. Among the statements the IG's office made about other potential misconduct at Hinton, on July 11th, 2018, the Inspector General's then-Counsel, Julia Bell-Andreas, Uh, told a Suffolk Superior Court judge he was not aware of any criminal referrals made by her office uh, relative to Hinton. Yeah, that's that's what I read earlier. Yeah, that's what you read earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, In a July uh, 10th, 2018 filing in Suffolk County uh, drug case in which the defendant – did you read this one,
1: Justino (laughs) Escobar?
0: Yeah. All right. So the statement came in a case uh, in which the Middlesex attorney was appealing uh, a lower court order. It uh, reviewed the uh, IG's Mammoth Hinton case file to see if the agency ever investigated Varrock. The IG's office did not find evidence that any other chemist at the drug lab committed malfeasance with respect to evidence testing or not, uh, knowingly aided uh, Dukin in her malfeasance. In a statement, the Inspector General's office said, "By statute, the office of the Inspector General must refer matters to prosecutors when we find reasonable grounds uh, to believe a criminal statute has been violated. The statute, the statutory threshold for a referral is very low. When when we make a referral, we do so with the understanding that the prosecuto- uh that the prosecutorial agency will make their own independent." Determination that may or may not result in prosecution Uh, under our statute, we cannot publicly disclose referrals that we have not result that have not resulted in prosecution because. Because of our statute, the office's policy is to neither conform confirm nor deny the existence of a referral consistent with that policy. That is what our former general counsel informed the court in her letter following the hearing. So that's just basically an excuse, right?
1: Yeah. And uh, if you want to look carefully at that quote from yeah. Andres, like maybe we can unpack that a little bit in a fairly sure. fashion. So the IG's office quote, did not find evidence that any other chemist at the drug lab committed malfeasance with respect to evidence testing or knowingly aided Dukin and her malfeasance. So the latter half knowingly aided Dukin means they didn't find any evidence. Someone was, directly in cahoots with Dukin. But the first part of it doesn't negate the possibility that they found evidence that um, administrators, for example, uh, were committing federal fraud with regard to funding, right? So did not find any evidence that any other chemist at the drug lab committed malfeasance with respect to evidence. So are you following me, Ilias, or no?
2: Yeah, meaning that statement meant is meant to sound broad, but it's actually narrow,
1: right? Um, And it's in response to her first saying there were no other criminal referrals. Then, oops, we're not allowed to say that. Uh, Here's our explanation, right? So, means. So I think
2: I think the problem with that, though, I I think you know you're you're right that this this was um, so. There's two types of lawyering, right? There's successful lawyering. There's ambitious uh but maybe un- potentially unsuccessful lawyering and that seems like it by by but if you if you ask me to endorse a statement that said that nobody else committed malfeasance with respect to evidence testing i would say no because sonia farak mm-hmm. when she was smoking crack was d- committing malfeasance with respect to evidence testing because she was supposed to test the crack instead of smoke it so that would be you know depends on how you i guess what the meaning of the word is, is, but it seems to me that I fall in the camp where words sort of have re- regular meaning. And so, um, you know, whether somebody knowingly aided Dukin in in her malfeasance is also a clever dodge, because what, in every, all the stuff we've covered uh, on this podcast, which of it was Annie Dukin's malfeasance, right? Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. haven't seen any that was Annie Dukin's malfeasance. I've seen a lot of malfeasance. There's been a lot of like retesting of samples multiple times, not disclosing the results, all the things we've touched on. Um, so it's an interesting sort of parsing, but the timeline doesn't a- add up because the OIG issued its report in um, in, in what uh, March of 2014. And by that point, the the, the certainly the 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 OI the government knew, right? the AG's office, and I think the OIG should have known enough about Sonia Farrakh to know that that everything they were peddling in this report uh, about Amherst was not true, right? That unfortunately they knew, they already knew what was going on. They had hidden it, right? Luke is still chasing the, the box of documents probably by this point. I forget when he, got, he actually gets them. Um, but th- at this point he had been denied the discovery, hadn't gotten those things. So they thought they were gonna get away with this, right? No one's ever gonna find out um, what happened at, um, uh, at, at Amherst. Um, but the reality is, they—if they had done a, a minimal investigation—they would have known. And I—and I think they—they they probably did know, but it was better just to keep it, you know,
1: suppressed. But some of these statements in Maggie's article are in like 2018 and 2019. So like when <laughs> the IG's office clearly should have known better. Yeah, but
0: I mean, they—they're so entrenched on this lie now.
1: Yeah. It's like, yeah. It, It's. I it's just pretty- wanted to just because we were talking about the timeline i just want to make sure that the listeners understood th- these are fairly recent statements as far as the whole saga goes
2: right well and th- th- this is sort of the uh you know one of the things we've touched on um here is that you know why is the media you know i mean this you know every time we read from an article uh like this one uh by maggie I get sort of like, oh, my confidence in in the in the the what is it so the the fourth or fifth which which estate is the media? But my confidence goes up, right? But then when you realize how much the media abdicated their responsibility, and I've had journalists say to me in the same conversation that new evidence that blows the lid off the a cover story is both um, is is old news. Yes. Right? Is is yes. old news? Everyone also- knows that right it's old news everybody knows it and also uh oh the public doesn't have the appetite for new disclosures yeah it's just like well which is it which is it every we already knew it or 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 or, or we don't know it and 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 people should know it um so uh, this is this is the type of thing the timeline gets muddled and you're right to point out that you can't just keep saying we don't know things year after year because eventually it's it's out that you did know it and right. maybe it was plausible in 2014 when the OIG report came out. I don't think it is. They drop a footnote for Sonia Farrakh and they say, oh, by the way, you know, she got caught. Um, what do they say? Um, in January 2013, Sonia Farrakh was charged with removing drugs from the Amherst lab purportedly for her personal use and was charged with four counts of theft, um, tampering, etc. cetera. Uh, and then she pleaded guilty and was sentenced to two and a half years in the house of correction. I mean, that's, that's a pretty impressive burying of what was, what that, what the Amherst story was about. Right. <laughs> um, and, and it d- does not delve into any of the other stuff that if you had listened to any of those interviews, right. Or participated in any with Chat or uh, who was the other one? Um, uh, the the other chemists, but uh, out there. But you, you would have heard horrifying things that, that were taking place that had nothing to do with Sonia Farah, right? Uh, Salem, right? Uh, it was yeah, Sharon Salem, Sharon Salem,
0: um, Rebecca Pontes, yeah, yeah.
2: So it just seems to me that that's the 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 what does the OIG in at the end of the day is is its own uh, you know is the, is the chronology of what they claim was 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 knowable, right? Uh, when they wrote these things.
0: I mean, so much like anyone who knows even the the most basic facts about this case laughs about like they they the OIG did what the prosecutors do. It's a big big confidence scheme again. I hate to like beat that dead horse, but it's like they are solely relying on the fact that there is very little appetite in the public for this story, and and for this kind of information. And they know it, and and they bathe in it. They they know, like, everything is based on it, that no one will follow up, that no one will actually read. It was like a 100-page report, and I, to this day, know that no one read that report, like, besides us and maybe a few other people, but, like, no one read the whole 100 pages. Because if they read the whole 100 pages, they'd be like, what the fuck? Like they said that she's the lone bad actor. And then in the same breath, they said that her
2: managers are the biggest cause for this happening. Right. Like, how does that make sense? Well, it reminds me a little bit. I mean, this does come up in the news in other cases. I I think, you know, there was the famous, uh, I forget which administration it was that edited sort of the internal climate, you know, review uh, conclusions. In the face of the the rest of the report's findings, that happened in the UN uh, oil for food scandal, um, that where they that somebody wrote an executive summary uh, that was at odds with the report. Uh, Bill Barr famous, famously reduced the the um, the the Mueller report into four neatly typed pages that basically said the opposite of what the Mueller right. report said. Uh, so this is a a, a common thing. Um, but I guess what's disappointing is that the I in, all, in IG is supposed to be independent, right? right. So you would expect oh, some inspector. sort of Yeah. Well, but it's supposed to be independent, right? It's right. it's, it's uh, uh, the Office of Inspector General is supposed to be independent of the the government, right? Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be in the chain of command of of, of somebody. And so why uh, you know you you hope that you wouldn't see sort of a cover up or a political sort of hatchet job. Um, and I think the more time passes, the more this report looks like what it's not—you know, what we're not supposed to be getting from from the uh, from the Inspector General.
0: Yeah. Right. So, I mean, so what, let's speculate. What? So, what do you think? What's what being hit? What do you think they have? Why they? What, so what?
2: what do you, so, Jamie, you have to ask those questions again, because it sounds like you fell into the bottom of a well. <laughs> I did.
0: Um, so. Uh, so what what do you think they're hiding, guys? What, what what's let's speculate as to...
1: on those statements that Andrus made. And it sounds like uh, potentially other criminal referrals. And so I don't know the form that, that takes. Maybe it's a memo. Maybe it's just a letter. Uh, with exhibits attached. But, you know, I, I really want to find out, it seemed like from the one thing that was made public uh, that Judge Lou wrote uh, last year, but uh, was since impounded, it looked like there were other referrals. So the basis for those, uh, you know, is incredibly important in order to gauge the impact on uh, you know, the remaining defendants. So, you know, if there's an instance where they found a particular chemist looked like they had spiked something, right? We talked about one such instance in the past, that's gonna be huge for all the people uh, who had their samples tested by that chemist. Uh, If it's an issue where an administrator at the lab uh, was committing fraud, and I think we found the basis for that, and discussed in previous episodes. Potentially a a reason to throw every case uh, that, you know, had evidence go through that lab thrown out. Right. 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 remind me, which they
2: never really did, right? They, the, uh, my memory was the cases fell in three categories, right? There was the Dukin was the primary. Those cases were dismissed by and large. Um, sort of en masse, there was a second group that
1: where she was involved in some- No, capacity. it was out of the Bridgman one, there was, uh, so that was about Dugan, all the cases involved Dugan. In, and it was, the first category was individuals who weren't eligible for release because they had pleaded out uh, before the testing had occurred. So those were so-called Ruffin cases. Second one was the dismissal list, Dukin cases, whether she was primary or secondary, uh, that the DA's just decided to drop. The third list was cases that Dukin had worked on where the prosecutors were willing to fight and keep them.
2: Okay, but there was never a discussion about everybody whose sample went through the lab, or at least with respect to any of these other people. So the fact that, and I don't remember the chronology of of those SJC uh uh rulings but my memory was that that in 2015 a lot of stuff was happening mm-hmm. um and so it seems like that's something the courts should have probably known in trying to figure out oh, that fashion relief.
1: Yeah. So so even- like if there was a criminal referral that was made about one or more chemists or lab administrators before uh Bridgman came out, I mean obviously the SJC would have wanted to hear about that.
2: Right, and I think we've we've we, we've talked to Jim McKenna in the past about mm-hmm. you know how to ar- what what the ar- what arguments he had to argue that every every sample um, you know should be undone, and you know uh, I know that that in prior conversations I I, I don't think he knew about the referral, so he he would have certainly mm-hmm. been all over that much much
1: earlier. So um, it just seems yeah. like you know. When when we were approaching these cases, he and I had two different mindsets. He was of the opinion, if you just prove that they didn't investigate the misconduct, we win because they have a constitutional obligation to do that and defendants are being denied their rights, which that is a strong argument. Uh, On the other hand, on my end, I had been arguing not only did they fail to investigate, it looks like, There's evidence they did investigate found other wrongdoing and did not divulge it, which I think is a stronger argument if true. And so we'll find out shortly.
0: It's very exciting for, for nerds like us who, who are, I mean, who are super into the fourth amendment and (laughs) we're super into people having their basic rights respected by the government. But guys, Scariest thing. Look at how far our government will go to protect false convictions, to, to deny people their Fourth Amendment right, and to hide it. That is the scariest, scariest freaking thing about this case. They will spend millions, untold millions of dollars to make sure that people's rights are obliterated. And are stayed obliter- and, and stay obliterated. They are so entrenched on their lies and their nonsense that they will spend ten years lying, spending millions of our dollars to deny us our basic rights guaranteed by the Constitution. That should scare the bejesus out of everyone in this country, and no one is paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Sorry well, I to be
2: uh... preaching. <laughs> You, I mean, it. There, it, there's an interesting set of answers, um, and you know, I've been struck recently in um, with all the January sixth stuff about how much of the the rhetoric coming the rhetoric coming out of the right sounds a lot like what people um, uh, on other sides of the political spectrum and uh, th- uh, have been saying, or things that we've been saying on this podcast, right? All of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, you know um, the, the the police are who who tried to take control back in the Capitol building. They're the aggressors. They're the stormtroopers. They're the murderers, right? Yeah. Uh, and and and, and uh, so so it's really your perspective. And I would say the government, by and large, not everybody, but but many people in the government sort of view all these people as they're already guilty. And, yes. And and, and uh, you know it, it, these are technicalities. Right, The Constitution is a technicality, the you know Fourth Amendment's a technicality. Uh, and the, but they're not actually innocent. And there's sort of a, a mistrust of our, I think, our, our criminal justice system uh, that the government sort of reveals um, by not letting the, the system play itself out, the way it's supposed to play itself out, which is, a, you shouldn't have been in this position to, to begin with, but here we are, we're in this position because of your conduct. And now, what are we going to do about it? And we're not going to uh, uh, impose substantial justice. Um, and it seems like that's the mentality. The mentality is that these people are guilty. Um, you know, I, I you said Jamie, people don't care that much, but they cared enough that the Globe had a, I think it was an above the fold piece on early on about where they had a picture of all these scary looking drug people yes. that are going to hit the streets and. You know, don't we're not going to say it, but just let your eyes uh, uh, graze over how many of these people are scary uh, p- people of color, tattoos. You know, um, uh, and 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 we can't have those people released because they will reoffend. That yeah. was that was so the public cared enough about that aspect of the story for the Globe to devote uh, you know uh, top coverage to but hasn't cared about the other sides the 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 you know people like my client or other people who were at factually innocent or there are people who you know maybe weren't factually innocent but nevertheless their rights were violated and 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 there's not a lot of reflection um certainly not in the government and not really in the public at large about those people because they don't that's not an easy thing to reconcile for the average person how do you deal with the fact that somebody might have had cocaine but might have had his rights trampled
0: right uh it's all interesting stuff guys and so all right so we got to um we're gonna wrap it up here but um thanks for coming back um we're gonna like i said we're gonna do a few more in season two and then um and i are gonna or we're all gonna talk about uh what what lies beyond uh this i think we'll always do updates as long as there's updates to do but I think we might uh, jump to other kind of uh, – Ilias and I have been talking about other stories that we're interested in and other um, you know famous stories that uh, we, people don't know the real truth on. Just like this story, people don't know the real truth. There's a lot of unknown history that um, is kind of hiding in plain sight uh, where people, you know, think they know the real story, but there's a lot of evidence that's easily accessible to anyone who scratches the surface that kind of will reshape how we know major stories from history. And I think Ilias and I have an have an interest in that. And, you know, um, and if we continue on with the podcast, that may be something, but that's, you know, something we'll talk about at a later time. But, uh, for tonight, that's, that's all we have again. Um, Like us, subscribe to us, tell your friends about us. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, we will be back soon. Thank you. Good night.